may be seated. I'm going to read the scripture in just a few moments. Uh, first of all, I just want to say it's great to see the Kendalls here. I know that because of health reasons, they've, Bob and Carol have not been with us for quite a while, and they're now living at Windsor Gardens across the road. And it is just wonderful to see your, your all's faces in, san- in uh, worship here in the sanctuary again. Uh, and uh, Troy Thomas and Maria Farah are getting married next Saturday. Yeah. Where is she? <laughs> okay, so this, this is wedding week. So you all pray for them, pray for Troy. Uh, we just uh, th- thank God for the two of them. And I have the pleasure of, of uh, officiating at their wedding here at the church. And God has been so good and faithful. And we're so thankful for that, that it's coming up. And uh, Harry and Barbara, we're amazed anybody can be married 66 years. You all are incredible. Really grateful for that. Betty Bailey's here this morning, and her, it was her great-grandson that was baptized, right? So we're so excited about that. That's a lot of good things that are happening uh, in the life of this church. Um, the scripture lesson this morning uh, is one that builds on last week's. It is an alternative reading out of the lectionary for this particular Sunday. It's Transfiguration Sunday. But the epistle reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 23. Last week we look at, looked at uh, verses 1 through 9, in which Paul addressed this uh, contentious, uh, divisive spirit in the church at Corinth that primarily was, was caused by uh, personality cults around uh, Paul and Apollos. Peter is mentioned in chapter 1 and later on in this chapter. Uh, there were even some that said, well, I don't have anything to do with any of those preachers. I am of Christ. That is my primary allegiance. But it had created some difficulties in the church, and Corinth had a lot of problems, and this was just one of them. And so he says, as we saw last week, that he said, well, who is Paul? Who is Apollos? He said, I just planted the seed, and Apollos came along and watered it, but it was God who caused the growth. And in reality, both of these men, as you heard me say, are just servants of God, only servants of God, and the word servant means table waiters. And that's what all of us are that are in God's service. We are servants, we are table waiters. And then in this, um, in this transitional verse, verse 9, Paul says that the church is is God's field and we are God's building. And so we're going to look now at uh, these verses together from chapter 3. I'm just going to read it off the screen and uh, you uh, quietly read along in your own heart. Listen now to God's word. Because of God's grace to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building on it, but whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, 
but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Stop deceiving yourselves. If you think you are wise by this world's standards, you need to become a fool to be truly wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. As the scriptures say, He traps the wise in the snare of their own cleverness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise. He knows they are worthless. So don't boast about following a particular human leader. For everything belongs to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Peter or the world or life and death or the present and the future, everything belongs to you and you belong to Christ. And Christ belongs to God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Come Holy Spirit, come now in these next moments and speak to our hearts and help us to resolve yet again to build our lives on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And it's in His name we pray. Amen. Well, our foundation is about to be laid on our dream home. Uh, for the first time in 40 years, Connie and I are going to own a house. We're going to be homeowners. Uh, come mid-September, and this is the lot that we're going to be building on. That's ours, or will be soon. It's got a sold sign on it. Someone asked me, well, how big is your lot? And I said, a little bigger than the house. Uh, but that's okay. I, I think I'll be able to mow the yard with uh, some hand clippers. Uh, it's that small. But uh, anyway, we're really excited. Connie is very excited. She, she has been driving by the lot on a regular basis just to see uh, if there's been any dirt turned over or if the foundation work has begun. But by mid-September, this next picture, this is the house that we will be living in. Praise God, by the will of God, we're going to be there uh, by mid-fall. And we're so excited about that and uh, grateful that... Uh, that we're going to finally get to have our own home after all these years. But early in our marriage, we lived in a house that belonged to my dad. It was a little farmhouse. It was actually more like a shack. And it had like one and a half bedrooms. Uh, it had a, a bathroom that literally was kind of hanging on the back of the house. The tub was at an angle, so all the water ran down to one end. Um, and uh, the thing that was most fascinating about this house is that it had no foundation. Whoever built it over a hundred years ago built the frame on the dirt. So underneath the floor of the house was dirt and uh, made the house very unstable. Uh, the doors uh, sometimes would not open or close properly. The windows in the house, most of them were not open at all. And... Um, Finally, my dad tried to remedy the situation by having the house jacked up and a foundation, a stone foundation was put underneath it. And I would say that it helped a little bit, but it was always in danger of falling in. It made me very nervous to be in this house during a thunderstorm. Honestly, I thought if the wind hit just right, the whole thing would disintegrate. 
Um, several years ago, it was torn down. We were just by there this past week. We made an overnight trip to Tennessee to, to check on Connie's mom and to see my dad, who, by the way, is getting married on March 3rd. So grateful for that. Uh, after this season of grief, mourning my mother's uh, death a year and a half ago, but he uh, and a woman that he has known and been good friends with for over 40 years uh, are going to get married in Hawaii at a United Methodist Church that's not far from the beach. He said, none of the family is invited. <laughs> I was kind of hoping to get a free trip to Hawaii to officiate at my father's wedding, but he did not offer that. Uh, but uh, we were just by the, the spot where we lived in that little house for two years, and it's nothing but just a grassy lot now. There's nothing there. It looks just like the lot that we're going to be building on. In fact, it's a little bit bigger. This next picture is the Millennium Tower in um, San Francisco, California. 58 stories high, 645 feet. Uh, it's uh, the third, I think, largest skyscraper in San Francisco, has 400 residents that live in it. It's that tall silver building there on the left. Um, and each one of those condominiums cost anywhere from a million to $10 million each. It's got a phenomenal view. This is like from the penthouse, this next picture. Uh, you see uh, out over San Francisco Bay, the Golden Gate Bridge. I mean, this is like prime real estate. It was built in 2008, but over the last 12 years, this building has come to be known as the Leaning Tower of San Francisco because the foundation, according to one expert, is corrupt. They built this magnificent structure on a foundation that is not adequate. So it has sunk 18 inches into the ground and now it leans 14 inches off center. I'm assuming if you like dropped a ball on the floor, uh, it rolled to the other side of the room. And they tell the residents they're safe, but I wouldn't want to live in it, would you? Absolutely not. Ravi Zacharias, who is a well-known apologist for Christianity and a preacher of the gospel, tells about visiting Ohio State. By the way, here's a picture of the sidewalk in front of this building cracking because of the way that it's settling. But uh, Zacharias uh, visited Ohio State University several years ago to deliver a lecture on the, the, the decaying foundations of Western civilization. And uh, he was riding in the car from the airport to the university when the driver of the car said, uh, this is the uh, Wexner Art Center, which just recently opened. Brand new building here on campus. And uh, he said, there's something really fascinating about this building. He said, it's not as it seems. If you go on the inside, he said, there are pillars inside of the building that don't support anything. He said there are stairwells, staircases that don't go anywhere. He said the architect had these crazy wild ideas that are postmodern in their orientation. He was trying to communicate to people that go into this museum that we live in a time where uh, things go nowhere where life is mindless and senseless, just like some modern, postmodern art. And, uh, and so this is where it's displayed. 
And Zacharias said he turned to the man and he, and he said to him, he said, well, did they do the same thing with the foundation? <laughs> and the driver just laughed. He said, oh, no. He said, everybody knows that even a building like this has to have a good foundation. And builders have known for thousands of years, since the beginning really of, of organized civilization, the building of communities and cities, that you've got to have a good solid, rock solid foundation, as Theo told, told the kids this morning, um, before you start building anything upon it. Jesus said, as Theo alluded to from Matthew chapter 17, or chapter 7, that... Uh, that there was this parable that he told about those who ignore him and his teaching. And Jesus says this, Everyone who hears my words, who's exposed to my teaching and does not put it into practice, is like a foolish person that builds their house on the sand. We've all seen what's, what a hurricane or a severe tropical storm can do uh, to the beaches of North Carolina or up and down the coast. I mean, erode them away, houses falling into the ocean. Jesus says this is what happens to a person spiritually when they fail to take stock of my identity, to follow me, to believe in me, and do as I say. He says the rain comes down, the streams rise, the wind blows and beat against the house, and it will fall in a great crash. Jeremy alluded to it at the beginning of the service, that it's easy for people to build their lives on false foundations. And to some degree, we all are inclined to do that. Our culture offers us a lot of alternatives to Jesus, to living for Christ, to having Him as the foundation of our lives. But there are lots and lots of people, increasing numbers. In fact, more than I have ever seen in the years that I've been here on earth and in the years that I've been a pastor, building their houses, their lives on faulty foundations. And Jesus says that eternally such foolishness will lead to devastation. So what we decide to do with Christ is, is eternally significant and important. This is why Jesus took the disciples to Caesarea Philippi, took them into the northern, far northern regions of, of, of uh, the Holy Land, away from the crowds at the Sea of Galilee, up to the base of Mount, Therm, uh, Mount uh, Hermon. And he said to them, who do you say that I am? And they said, well, some people say, no, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Messiah. You're the Christ. You're the anointed one sent from God. And Jesus said, Peter, you got it right. And this is the foundation. This is the rock upon which I will build my church. Now, what does Paul tell us about his building? Well, he begins in verse 10 by talking about the grace of God that has been given to him. Paul was, a, was a, a very strong spiritual leader, probably the second most influential person in Christendom, Jesus being first, the Apostle Paul being second. In terms of how the world has been impacted, it was Paul, it was his writings, his doctrinal uh, convictions about us being justified by faith. I mean, it goes on and on. 
And we all understand that today. We are offspring of, of his preaching, his teaching, his church planting in the first century. But he says, because of God's grace to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. So this is not shoddy construction here, folks. This is not a faulty foundation I've laid here. He said, it has been the best. He says, now others are building on that foundation, but whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful. And what is the foundation? The foundation is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The foundation is the gospel of Jesus. The foundation is the teaching of Jesus. Everything that Jesus was and taught is this foundation that Paul says, I have laid in Corinth for the church. Now this was just another way of him talking about the Lord's work. Earlier he, he talks about uh, it being like planting of seed, which is equivalent to laying a foundation. And then the watering of the seed so that the plant grows, which is equivalent to building upon a foundation. One is kind of organic in nature. It's talking about uh, uh, the seed's growth that ultimately God uh, is blessing and causing to grow. And the other one has a bit more emphasis on human effort, on the building that God's servants do on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And he says here that, that this is akin to a temple. Akin to a temple. It's very clear that this building is not a physical building he's talking about. We have a tendency to equate church with facility, with a location, um, with construction. But church is, is people. It is the people of God, Paul says. So this is a metaphor. This is not to be interpreted literally as a construction project. In the first century, there were no church buildings. They went to synagogue and to the temple to worship with the Jews. These were Jews that had accepted Jesus, had acknowledged Him as the Christ. They met in homes with one another. There were no church complexes in the first century. So He says to them that you, the people of God, are this building. In fact, He says, you are together the temple of God in which the Spirit of God dwells. Now there is a personal reality that's spoken of in the scripture about how every believer has the Holy Spirit dwelling in his or her life. All right? Every person that knows Christ has been born again by the Spirit of God. The Spirit is in you. But, but this is a corporate reality which is just as important. He says here that the church, all of us together... We are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. That just as the glorious presence of the Lord filled the Old Testament temple, in the New Testament, God's Spirit fills this gathering of God's people, the church. This passage out of 1 Chronicles chapter 3, where Solomon's temple is finished, is so amazing. Um, it took 20 years for them to build the Jewish temple during Solomon's reign. Can you imagine having a church building project that takes 20 years? What do you think about that, Mark? No way, right? We're not going to ever do anything like that. That's crazy. 
I mean, in reality, we did talk about it for 20 years, didn't we? <laughs> Maybe it did take 20 years. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, Solomon's temple took 20 years to build. And in chapter 7 of 1 Chronicles, when he had finished praying, the scripture says, fire flashed down from heaven. I think that was like a massive lightning bolt. And the scripture says that the burnt offerings and sacrifices that were on the altar were immediately consumed and the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple. What that looked like, I don't know, but it must have been pretty amazing. The priest could not enter the temple of the Lord because of the glorious presence of the Lord that filled it. And when all the people saw the fire come down, this lightning bolt come down, and consume this altar, this offering on the altar, and the glorious presence of God filled the temple. What do you think their response was? In this church, it'd be, we'd clap our hands, wouldn't we? <laughs> yeah. We might give a standing O. But no, there was no hand clapping. There was no whispering in the pews. There was no, wow, did you see that? Did, so, did somebody take a picture of that? That was amazing. There's none of that. The scripture says they fell down on the ground. The whole lot of them. The whole assembly. It'd be like all of us having a holy moment in which God moves in this church and we all just like fall out of the pews. We get down on the floor and they worshiped and praised the Lord, the scripture says, saying... He is good. His faithful love endures forever. Paul, here in 1 Corinthians 3, says, Because of God's grace to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building on it, but whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful because there's just not any other foundation you can lay except Jesus Christ. And he says that if you try to build on that foundation something out of hay or straw or wood or some other flimsy um, you know, product, he said, in the day of judgment it will be consumed. The person that did the faulty building, who was half-hearted in their service, whose life was, was not fully devoted to, to Christ and His purposes, that person will be saved, he says, but it's, it's like, like escaping through a wall of fire. Barely get out of a burning building. Because Jesus is everything. He is the foundation. I've been having this ongoing conversation with someone in this community for many years now. She, she loves our church. She loves to come to some of our fellowship meals and... Uh, she's occasionally come to a Wednesday night growth group if it's something that interests her. Um, she will show up and worship once a year, if that. She has met with me a couple of times to talk about, um, you know, our church and what we believe. And um, <laughs> she says, I love your church, but I like the Unitarian Universalist church better. And uh, her reason is, is that they don't talk about Jesus very much. Her words. She said, in fact, there are Sundays when Jesus is never even mentioned. 
It seems, she told me, that United Methodists are obsessed with Jesus. I just nodded my head and I said, yes, we are. And I hope it never changes. <laughs> yes, we are obsessed with Jesus. Coming into a relationship of faith and trust and love and service for Jesus is what we are about. Amen? It is at the heart of the Christian faith. He is everything. He is foundational. There is no church without Jesus. And if you're ever in a church, tempted to change churches, um, please make sure they love Jesus. Please make sure that Jesus is acknowledged as the Lord of the church, the head of the church, the foundation of the church. There is no church without Jesus. And the many titles of Jesus that are found in the scriptures just, uh, to me, um, reinforce this. The early church, the apostles, the disciples, the writers of the New Testament and the Gospels, they could not find enough ways to describe Jesus. Because he is so much bigger, he is so much grander, so much more amazing than any of us could ever imagine. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He is the light of the world, the morning star, the Prince of Peace, the Wonderful Counselor, the Lamb of God. He is the Savior of the world, the Good Shepherd, the, the Anointed One, the Christ the bread of life, the chief cornerstone, the great high priest, the holy and righteous one, the Lord of glory, the teacher. He is Emmanuel, the word made flesh who dwelt among us, who showed us what God is like. And as Jesus said, only hours before his betrayal and his crucifixion, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to God the Father except through Jesus. The Son. I think Jesus is pretty important, don't you? I mean, reading that, I think, I think Jesus is everything. Without Jesus, the church is adrift. We have nothing to proclaim. Back in 1983, there was a fairly mild earthquake that hit southern L.A., Southern California and the L.A. area, and that's very common. We've probably got some folks that have lived out there, and they know they have an earthquake a day. It's like taking your vitamins. And, um, and some of them are devastating and do a lot of damage, but this was a pretty mild one, but it hit the uh, Koalinga community, and um, there were over 300 homes that were virtually destroyed, but most all the other buildings and the bridges, et cetera, were fine. They just had some minor superficial cracks. And so they wanted to understand what caused the destruction of so many homes. And they went in and discovered that whoever the contractor, the builder was at that time when these homes were built, which was many, many years earlier, the houses were never bolted to the foundation. They just sat there. And so they just crumbled. They fell in on themselves. Uh, we have a team of 25 people going to Guatemala in June. Can you believe that? It's twice what we took last year. And uh, we're, we're going to build two houses instead of one because a generous couple in our church says, I will we will underwrite the cost of the second one. 
So we'll have two teams of 12 that will be working on these homes, and I'm so excited about that. Uh, these are simple houses. They are made of wood, got a wood frame. They've got wood siding on the outside, no drywall on the inside. There's just one wall between the inside and the outside. Uh, no electricity in the homes. They do have uh, like vinyl replacement windows, uh, I think two or three of those, and a wooden front door. Very simple, small home. And, and we build a house in about two and a half to three days. So you can see how simple it is. But the last step is taken on the last day when um, the, 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 the building assistant who works for the mission, who's with us, and he is a Guatemalan, uh, he uh, drives concrete nails into the foundation through the wood and then pulls that out, and then he puts bolts in. They put an anchor and bolts in, and they bolt that wooden house to a concrete pad, which is the foundation for the home. Because you see in Guatemala, they have earthquakes. Not going to happen to us when we're there in June, Becky. So don't worry, okay? Uh, we might have a volcano erupt, I don't know, but, but no earthquakes. Uh, they do have hurricanes that sweep through there, that cross over Central America, over Guatemala. But, but, but these simple houses, and there are many, many thousands of these homes throughout the countryside, um, will be blown down and destroyed so easily if it wasn't for the bolts that hold it to the foundation. And it seems to me that that is a very powerful image for us to hold on to when it comes to our Christian life. We build on the foundation of Jesus, but we need to be bolted to Him. We, we, we need to be uh, bound to Him in such a way that we will not come off. Whatever the storm may be, however bad the earth shakes around us, we are bolted to Him. Jesus Christ is my foundation. He is my life. He is my everything. He is the, the center of our worship. He is the object of our discipleship. He is the reason that we go out and we serve our community and beyond. We follow His example, right? We, we study His teaching and we obey His Word because we believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Savior and, and Lord. He, he is the one that had been promised by the prophets that came to change and transform individual lives and planet Earth. And this work of transformation starts in every human heart. Howard Olds uh, died 12 years ago. He was one of my uh, favorite uh, preachers, and I was acquainted with him. Never got to know him except really just through others. And um, it was a sad day for me when he died, but his sermons are so powerful and his writings and his radio broadcast that used to be on uh, every day. And one of the things that he had to say, and, and I posted this on Facebook earlier in the week, but he said, everyone has a foundation to lay. Everyone has ha a house to build. Our houses hold our lives. Every moral is a beam. Every window is a dream. Every door is an opportunity. Every roof is protection from the storm. We all have a house to build, and there are a couple of things about building a life that we need to know. For no one can lay any other foundation than what has been laid.
and that is the person of Jesus Christ. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Is He the anchor? Is He the foundation of your life that you are bolted to? Pay attention to Jesus. Ground your life in Jesus. Live for Jesus. For this life is to be lived all for Jesus. Amen? Because foundation matters. Would you pray with me? Come Holy Spirit, come. And help us to renew our commitment to live our lives for Jesus Christ. To ground our lives on the foundation that, that He is. Forgive us Lord for, um, for at times giving ourselves over to false foundations that will crumble that will be washed away when the tides change. Thank you, Lord, for being, um, being our all, our everything. In this moment, as best we can, by your grace, Lord, we surrender all to Jesus and build our life upon him. And all of God's people say,